Welcome to the Vineyard Northridge Weekly Sermon Podcast. We hope you enjoy this message by Dennis Kozloff. For more information about our church, visit our website at vineyardnorthridge.org or find us on social media at Vineyard Northridge. Good morning, church! Yes, see, I'm not even fiddling with stuff anymore. I'm growing. Hey, we're finishing this series of messages that we entitled The Gospel of God. It was based on the book of Romans. We decided to go through the first eight chapters, and I'm finishing today. Neil started chapter eight last week, and I'm going to finish it today. And it's, again, it's, it's so pithy. It's so condensed. There's so much in there. I could have come up with like five to ten messages on what is left, so I'm not going to try that. But at the same time, my disclaimer is I'm going to be very brief and, and general. I'm going to sketch it out for you and point down to the things that I believe the Spirit of God highlighted to me is really, 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 really important for you and for me as part of the gospel. The biggest problem of Christians today that they don't know the gospel or they don't dare to believe how good the gospel is. And there's so much to it. There's so much to, you know, it's a beautiful picture, chapter from first five chapters, it's an amazing picture. He says, I'm about to preach the good news to you. The gospel is good news. And he says, the good news is the power of God. Listen, we, sometimes we miss it. We think, that, oh, the good news, the gospel is a good news about the power of God. No, the news itself is the power. That's why we preach it. That's important. Yeah. Well, anyway. Uh, uh, so he, he, he starts great. Well, not that great. He says the wrath of God is coming from heaven. But then he says, yeah, there is a way to get out of it. And gospel is the way. And like there is a, there is a judicial side to salvation. Like God shows you that you're guilty just like anybody else because you inherited something in Adam. But the, <laughs> the gift of God in Christ Jesus surpasses and trumps your horrible inheritance in Adam. And then he shows this beautiful truth in chapter 6 how, don't you know, he says, there are things that you're supposed to know as a Christian. Don't you know that you've been grafted into him? You've been put into him? You've been made one with him in his death and resurrection? Beautiful, right? So that just makes it better and better and better. And then he gives you chapter 7. That's the most depressing chapter in probably in all of the New Testament. It's like he takes you high and then, bam, fall flat on your face. What is this? So <laughs> chapter itself is indeed depressing. And unfortunately, many millions of Christians throughout the history believed that chapter 7 is a normal Christian life. And it's not. Some people even teach that and it's horrible. It makes no sense. If you look at the whole of the logic of Paul's presentation of the gospel, that would be total contradiction. He actually tells you something. And here's what I'm trying to tell you today. And it's going to be difficult for me, but I'll try my best. And you need to help me by just soaking it up from me, by being open, all right? So Paul is telling us about this judicial side of salvation. But God pronounces us in Christ Jesus as not guilty. That's judicial, forensic. That's forever. Nobody can argue with that. He says we've been justified. You know what justified means in the court system? That you're not even pardoned. You're not even 
wrong. You haven't. It's not pardoned. It's not forgiven. It's declared as totally innocent. That's the forensic, judicial side of the gospel. But Paul says this is not it. This is done for a purpose. What is the purpose? To put you right into the middle of this organic process. When not only you are put into Christ and into God, but He is put into you. And He begins to transform you from within. He begins to transform you from within. He begins to transform you from within. I don't know how many times I'll say, I mean, sometimes I sound like a broken record, but I just feel that He begins to transform you from within. And you're not doing that. He is doing that. Once again, you are not doing that. He is doing that. Chapter 7 happens when you either don't know it or don't get it. Chapter 7 happens, and by the way, those of you who didn't, I can't give you an overview of everything we said in these last few weeks. Please go online, go to our website, listen to those messages. But I've done a long message, but it was worth doing on chapter 7. Go back, listen to this, please, if you haven't, if you missed it. So chapter heavens ha happens to many, many, many Christians. And chapter heaven, remember, it's this guy who says, I want to please God. And I determine that I'm going to use my life to please God. It's a very high and noble intention. But the strangest phenomenon happens. At the end of this process, he is always failing. He picks himself up, brushes off, tries again. The same result. He picks himself up. Maybe somebody preached him a good message. And he feels like, oh, I need to rededicate my life to this whole thing. And he tries... He tries to please God. He fails miserably. And ultimately, he reaches this point of ultimate frustration that can be heard in his heartfelt cry. Oh, wretched man that I am. I can translate it. Oh, what a miserable state I'm. What's wrong with me? I translate it into modern English. What in the world is wrong with me? I go to church. I listen to messages. I read my Bible. I try hard. And I fail on my face. I know what I'm talking about because I experienced that. And there are many of you here who experienced that. And chapter, ever, uh, chapter 8 is the answer to this problem. It's a response to chapter 7. And it's the most beautiful chapter in the Bible. It's like a smorgasbord of like yummy food. And you are so starved in chapter 7. So you, you get to chapter and go like, wow, it's time to eat, kids. Okay, don't ruin your appetite. So, Paul, <laughs> oh man, all right. <laughs> chapter 8, I want you to notice something. Chapter 8, and that will help you to understand the idea of chapter 8. Because chapter 8 is thick, condensed, pithy, convoluted. So you can easily get lost in chapter seven, uh, 8, many times actually. That's why we split it into two halves. And that's why I'm not, uh, not going to be able to cover everything in chapter 8. So I'm going to be jumping through like a PowerPoints there to present them to you. So chapter 8 stands in strong contrast to chapter 7. 
And this contrast actually helps us to understand how to do it right. Because chapter 7 is a description of someone who does it wrong. You might understand things about the blood. You might understand things about the cross of Christ. You might agree and even rejoice over the fact that God declares you innocent. But that's based on the past glorious events, what Christ has done on the cross. What about now in 2022, Springfield, Ohio? Horrible. Praise the Lord. My sins are forgiven. But I suck at this game. What a wretched man I am. What's wrong with me? I'm trying. That produces two kinds of Christians. One kind just walks away from the church forever, just forgets about it and says it's not even worth trying. And in other half, I hope it's not you, some of you may be still there, we're recovering. It's just like you become a hypocrite. Blah, 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 pastor, I heard it so many times. I heard so many, I heard everything you have to say to me. So I just come, check, I'm a Christian, read my two chapters, check, blah, blah. Well, I'm not going to go there. You know who I'm talking about. You. Just <laughs> Sorry. So this chapter 7 is a contrast. And I want you to see the contrast because this contrast itself is a hint to understand chapter 8. So chapter 7, although you understand everything right, you're doing it wrong. You're not doing the organic part right. So chapter 8 is actually to do it right. And I want you to see this contrast. So I'm going to read a big chunk of chapter 7. And pay attention to how many times a personal pronoun, I, with all its variations, is used in that chapter. In this little passage, listen to this, just listen to this. I'm going to be stressing those pronouns for you. So don't try to, just listen. Romans 7, 15, beginning from 15. That's chapter 7. That's the miserable guy. That's a lot of us now. He says, for what, what, what I do not understand, my own actions. For I do not do what I want, but I do the very thing I hate. Now if I do what I do not want, I agree with the law that it is good. So now it is no longer I. I who do it, but sin who dwells within me. For I know that nothing good dwells in me. Do you hear how many eyes and me's and minds are there? That's an overdose, actually. That's like an overdose of vitamin I. And he keeps on. He doesn't say you know, that is in my flesh. I have the desire. I have the desire to do what is right, but not the ability to carry it out. For I do not do the good things I want, but the but the evil. I do not want to do, I keep on doing. Do you see this guy? So I find it to be a law when I want to do right, evil lies close at hand. For I, del I delight in the law of God. I delight in the law of God. Pastor, that was a great message. Thank you. I delighted in it. I delight <laughs> in the law of God, in my inner being, that is, and I see in my members. <laughs> now, an other law waging war against the law of my mind and making me captive to the law of sin that dwells in my members. Wretched man that I am who will deliver me from this body of mine of death. Thanks be to God, finally, through Jesus Christ our Lord. So I, myself, serve 
the law of God with my mind and with my flesh, I serve the law of sin. Whew. I, I got tired saying I. Do you see? That's the biggest part of the problem. And that's what Paul calls flesh. So a lot of Christians, a lot of you guys, you were raised Christians, that you think, well, to walk according to the flesh, to, walk, to do the things of the flesh, to think, to mind the things of the flesh, that means like go to casino, gamble, smoke, over drink, uh, like slip around. Yeah, that's part of it. But the root of it is that thing right here. I, I, mine, me, I, I will serve God because I delight in the water. I, I, I. I, I, ouch. So, you saw the picture. This is an expressly self-preoccupied, self-absorbed, self-centered person trying to please God. And that's, my friend, you and I, in our natural state and inclinations. And we think that's a normal kind of existence but it's not God never created you to be like that and the organic side of salvation can never work through the person like that that's why you keep doing this ah, I'm gonna serve God ah, I'm gonna dedicate myself to God fall flat fail fail again miserable man that I am okay that's a big hint for you that's a big hint for you so that's the doorway entry point into a miserable experience of chapter 7 so such person, <clears throat> let me tell you something. That's a normal for, for the world. That's norm. That's how world operates. It's I, mine, mine, me, mine. I'm the center of the universe. That's not normal for Christian life at all. That's normal, not normal. And this person thinks he's the center of the universe, but he's not. You think you're the center of the universe? You're not. I'm sorry. Some of you, it sounds like it's a news to you, but it's not. By the time you're 40, you're supposed to know that. But you didn't. <laughs> uh, and one more thing I want you to see in chapter 8 that Paul begins to shift our attention. This person who walks according to the flesh, he's self-centered. And he doesn't have a true knowledge of himself or herself. He has a multiple layer personality, multiple masks that he or she developed over the course of life. He has this fake identity that he or she mastered to a degree. And he or she, you, do not know your true self. Remember one time, I don't remember, last year probably I preached and I said the problem is that we're so used to faking so many things and wearing so many masks that we kind of forget or maybe never meet ourselves. We don't even know who we are. And we create this mannequin for social interaction. And God does not have fellowship with mannequins. He loves living souls. He loves creatures that he created according to his image and likeness. And chapter 8, it switches from I, mine, mine, I to the word spirit. I'll say it again, the main shift that happens between chapter 7 and chapter 8 is denoted by the word spirit. Before chapter 8, 
Paul doesn't even talk about the Spirit. He mentions Spirit twice only in eight chapters. Then all of a sudden in chapter 8, within a short passage, within a short uh, portion of that chapter, he mentions the word Spirit 20 times. So that's, that's a big key to understand chapter 8. And by the way, I just wanted to tell you, then it's self-centered life. Why is it called flesh? Flesh is from Greek translated as like this, this thing right here. This, this meat and uh, bones and uh, everything else. There is a reason for that. Because you were created as a spirit. As the soul and as the body. And there was a certain order in creation. And your spirit was created. I'm going to talk about it more. Uh, to be in direct contact and fellowship with the Lord. Your soul was created to absorb it all and to express it. And your body was created to move you around and spread the glory of God. When the fall has happened, something shifted, something twisted. The spirit of man, the Bible says, died. What does it mean, die? It's like a dilapidated old vacant house. It's built for somebody to dwell in it, but it stands dilapidated and empty and nobody goes there and it's spooky and it's scary and uh, over the course of time it just overgrown with weeds and you don't even recognize its presence. That's why a man who is in his natural state, in Adamic state, is, is, does not see and does not recognize that he is much more than he knows about himself. There is more to you than you think. There is more to every person that, what, what's the English saying? My English sometimes, it meets the eye. There is more to it. And this more is called spirit. I want to draw your attention. And again, why body? Why flesh? Have you ever been hangry? That's it. You don't realize how much we think we're like, we're center of the universe, but we can't even control our appetites. Come on. We are so dominated by, I mean, there are legitimate desires and needs in our bodies, but they take over because it was twisted. The system was twisted by the sin, and now they become our rulers. They become the passions. They become something that ruins our relationship with others. You may love your wife, but when you're hangry, you might hurt your wife. Or she might hurt you. I don't know. I have worse in your family. It doesn't matter. Let's not go in there. They, they, they've done a study in Israel. I don't remember the year when they did. They've done an uh, analytical study of the data of judges, professional judges in Israel. And they took a group of judges with a long years of uh, service as judges. And they analyzed all of their verdicts that they came up with in certain cases. And those judges were taking pride in the fact that they're very professional and very objective. And they know the law. They analyzed everything. And guess what? Almost all of the cases that were presented to them right before lunch. Guess what? That was very negative for those convicts. That was a very bad verdict. And right after lunch, all of a sudden, there was more mercy and grace. When they looked at the data, they were shocked. So I'm telling you, just trust me. God has a reason why he called this lifestyle, self-centered lifestyle of flesh. 
It has to do a lot. Basically, I called it self-centered body-soul life that ignores the reality of the spirit. And that's what I'm trying to tell you today. And that's found in chapter 8. So let's read it. Chapter 8, verses uh, 3 through 8. I'm going to read big portions, so please follow me. Try to follow me. 8 through 3, verses from 3 to, through 8. For God has done what the law weakened by the flesh could not do. By sending his own son, listen, in the likeness of flesh, his body was real, but he was never this self-centered, body-dominated uh, person who is trying to have his meats met by other people's resources and manipulating like we do often. He has never been that. He had a likeness just like us, but he never had this fleshly attitude, this self-centeredness. It was always about his father and about people the father loved, about the spirit. In order that the righteous requirements of the law, now he talks about the gospel, might be fulfilled in us. Who walk not according to the flesh, and here comes the word spirit for the first time, but walk according to the spirit. And Neil was talking about it last week and he did a great job. Christian life, I will just reiterate what he said, is not a changed life. It's not a reformed life that you are in charge of changing and reforming. It's an exchanged life. You exchange your life for life of someone else for real. So it's not only about what happened on the cross 2,000 years ago. It's what's happening today. And by the way, that's a very healthy question to ask yourself, frankly, on a regular basis. What is God doing in me today? What is God doing in my life, in this season of my life? Maybe if you journal, try to ask it, try to answer it. It's very good. Well, that's a little side note. So for those who live according to the flesh, and we just described what the living according to the flesh is, set their minds on the things of the flesh. That's what they're preoccupied with. But those who live according to the Spirit set their minds on the things of the Spirit. For, this, for to set your mind on the flesh is death. It doesn't mean like as soon as you begin to think, to feel, to act, to walk like that, you just fall dead physically. No, but you begin to experience different degrees of death. Neil was talking about it last time. The fruit of the Spirit is the fullness of life, life abundant. So God has in mind, not chapter 7, God has in mind for you fullness of joy. He wants to make you a joyful person. He wants to make you not depressed person depression is never a fruit of the spirit joy is anxiety is never the fruit of the spirit peace is so you can have an ex increased experience of god as peace and joy in your life or you can have the decrease of that based on whether you live in that lifestyle of self-centered soul body existence ignoring the reality of the spirit of your life or you learn to distinguish and recognize the reality of the Spirit. And now I need to be very careful with you. And you need really pay attention right now. Because here's the big confusion. As soon as I talk about the Spirit, a lot of you, you have so many cliches in your brain about the Spirit. So you immediately think Paul's talking about the Holy Spirit of God. But he is not. He's talking about your Spirit, dude. How do you know that? In my Bible, it's a capital S. That means Holy Spirit. Well, first of all, my friend, there are no capital S's in, in oh, did it sound right? 
sorry. <laughs> there are no capital S letters in, in Greek. That's, thank you, John. John is my interpreter today. Uh, thank you. Yeah, it just, uh, there are no punctuation. That's another problem. And there are no small or capital S. Paul speaks of the Spirit. So to understand what Spirit he is talking about, you really need to see the logic. What is he doing with the text? And then you will understand. And if you read carefully, in chapter 8, he makes a contrast between whose flesh? Yours. Come on. And Spirit. Whose Spirit? Yeah, that's right, Neil said. Yeah, your spirit. So, let me find myself. And this, I don't know how to, it, I cannot overestimate how important it is. And I will explain to you why. You have a spirit. Some of you heard it before, some of you know it, some of you don't know it, but it's very important to recognize that there is more to you than the eye meets and that you have been created not just as a combination of your body and your soul, your feelings, your desires, your emotions, your senses, physical senses, you're more than that. I told you, the picture got twisted, that's why you only mainly experience those things, but there is a reality of the Spirit. Yes, the Bible says before you receive Jesus Christ, your Spirit is dead it's empty it's vacant but when you receive Jesus it says that you come alive you come alive to God in your spirit and that's what what why Paul calls Christians the temple of God do you remember how the temple in the Old Testament was designed do you it was a three main sections outer course I mean outer court uh, inner court sanctuary and a special place, totally concealed, totally separated, very, very special, very, very holy. In fact, so holy that the name of this place was the Holy of Holies. And then he says, now that was a type, that was a shadow. Now you are the temple of the Holy Spirit. In another passage, he says, your body is the temple of the Holy Spirit. How come, Paul? I thought in Romans 7 you said this flaw, the law of sin and death dwells in my body. Yes, yet. It's like Gentiles were allowed to come to the outer court. Yet only God and holy people of God could experience fellowship and interaction within the holy of holies. And that's, my friend, the picture of your spirit. Maybe some of you hear it for the first time. You have a spirit that is a dwelling place of a living God. And you need to know it and you need to discover the reality of the presence of this organ, if you want, in you. In fact, your true self that you barely know is your spirit man. A lot of things that you developed over the course of your life will fall off you when you meet Jesus face to face. And you would finally meet him as he is and you would finally meet you as you are. He knows you better. He fellowships with you better than you fellowship with Him. He knows your true self, your true innermost being, your spirit. Did I impress you with that at all? I hope so. Because that was my burden to really show you. When you begin to read all the letters of Paul, and especially chapter 8, you would see that 
So I'm emphasizing that. Why? Because to begin to experience, we're coming back to the gospel of God, to begin not just to know facts about Christ and you and how one you are, but to begin to experience, you need to recognize and learn things about your spirit and learn to discover it in yourself. Some of you need to rediscover. You never discovered that. And when I was preaching, it's really hard to convey and communicate because it might sound like just a theology. Let me tell you, it's not a theology. The only reason I'm a Christian today is because I know by experience the reality of God's presence. It's not because I just read the Bible or some, somebody smart convinced me that the Bible is true. It's because God visited me many times. Where did I experience God's visitation? From my spirit, within my spirit. It went right into my soul. And a lot of you have that. A lot of you have those experiences. And that's what makes you real a Christian. That's the heart of Christian faith. Not just the knowledge from the Bible, which is very useful. All right? So let's look what Paul had to say about this life according to the Spirit. Romans 8, 9 through 11. You, however, are not in the flesh. So you don't have to live this self-centered life. He said, you are not in the flesh, but in the Spirit. If, in fact, the Spirit of God now he's definite now it's spirit of God he said you are in the spirit if indeed in fact the spirit of God dwells in you where does he dwell in you he said in your flesh there is a law of sin death in your soul there is this miserable self-centeredness that cries out I want to serve God but cannot in your spirit Today, God, the Spirit, dwells. You are walking mystery, and you have no clue. Gosh, okay. Anyone who doesn't have the Spirit of Christ, wait a minute, Paul, you just were talking about Spirit of God, and all of a sudden you switch to Spirit of Christ. He says this in one breath. He says, Spirit of God. Then he says, if anyone does not have the Spirit of Christ, where? In your spirit. He does not belong to him. But if, listen, and then he forgets the word spirit at all. He says, but if Christ is in you, although the body is dead because of sin, the spirit is life because of righteousness. Whose body is dead because of sin? Your body, not Christ. Whose spirit is life? Your spirit. Whose righteousness is he talking about? Your righteousness that Christ imputed to you. And then he goes, but if the spirit is life because of righteousness, if the spirit of him who raised Jesus from the dead dwells in you, he who raised Christ from the dead will also give life to your mortal bodies. He keeps talking about this. You, your spirit, your body, Christ, God's spirit, spirit of God, Christ himself dwelling in you. If you don't have this reality, you're not a real Christian. But it says it to fix. You just need to call on the name of the Lord Jesus for the gift of eternal life. And immediately the spirit of God comes and enlivens your spirit and it will never depart from it. So if any of you are not sure that you have that, come to me, come to Neil, come to any of the ministry team tonight. We'll pray. You'll walk out of this place having that. That's 
what the reality, the essence of uh, Christian life is. So why do I stress it so much? And why do I want to, I want you to begin to see that he is not somewhere far away from you. He doesn't comes and goes. That's the mentality of the Old Testament. Mentality and culture of visitations of God. And now you, if you really see God, you need to cry out so that he would come. Or you need to come someplace, special place, special time where he would appear and show up. Like remember this crippled guy and this place when the angel of the Lord would come and stir up waters and whoever gets in, uh, in first would get healed. A lot of Christians treat their faith like that. And it's wrong. You're doing it wrong. You hear about the gospel, I mean, the, the revival there or special outpouring of the Spirit there. The Spirit has been outpoured. And if you called on the name of the Lord Jesus, your spirit got enlivened. And the Spirit of God now dwells in you. All of God, the Father, the Son, the Holy Spirit dwells within you. You can't get closer to God than you are right now the very seat that you're sitting is where God dwells where the Spirit of God dwells and that's that's so important because I listened to our prayers for years and I listened to my own prayers and we pray like people who have light years between us and God oh Heavenly Father please and this and you know that I get it I'm not criticizing this is still working somehow because it says the Spirit prays in line with our manner. But listen, you don't find Jesus praying that. He come to the grave of Lazarus and he said, Thank you, Father. You always listen to me. Lazarus, come forth. And there was God speaking from man, through man, from his spirit, through his soul, through his mouth. And it was the word of God that took the guy out of the death. Do you know that it's your calling? That's your calling. That's my calling. But we're vegetating because we don't know the reality that is already planted and found in our spirit. And we need to learn that. Okay. And how am I doing not apologizing and saying sorry? I'm sorry. Neil says good because Neil says you say like five, two, three to five times I'm sorry through the message. Stop doing that. Yes, sir, I said. <laughs> well, I did one. Ah, keep the score, Neil. Keep the score. Uh, so <laughs> I wrote to myself in this notes, the biggest problems of many Christians today that they try to be Christians. I'll say it again. And I'll let it sink in. The biggest problem of many Christians today is that they try to be Christians. And it gets worse when they try hard. That's chapter 7 for you. That's not life. That's not organic. That's a lot of effort. That's based on your will, your determination. And you're going to fail. And Paul doesn't want you to live that. That's why chapter 7 is not for you. Chapter 7 is not. You don't need to try to be a Christian. The more you try, the worse it will be. Trust me. You need to tap into this reality within you. You need just ignore everything. All these wonderful messages and sermons and scary talks of preachers and tap into the reality of God that came into your spirit. 
And if this church helps you with that, praise the Lord. I'm so glad. If not, leave. Go. Find something else. But many of you were brought here because that thing in your spirit resonated when we speak or we were seeing. That's why I'm not afraid to lose those of you who are supposed to be here. The Spirit is doing His work. Not I, not Neil. Amen? All right, good. Yeah. I noticed something. You clap when I say something that is not in my notes. That means my notes are not that great. <laughs> yeah, right. Okay, guys, don't want to abuse your time, so I'll... I'll kind of rushes through that. So Romans 8, 12 through 17. Let's keep on reading. He keeps unfolding and unpacking this topic of the Spirit. He says, so then, brothers, we are debtors not to the flesh. We have no obligation, no debt. Flesh cannot show up at our door and say, we're collector's company. You owe us. No, I owe you nothing. We are not that. For if you live according to the flesh, you will die. That's, you will experience death in your life. No joy, no... Yeah, we talked about it already. I'm not going to develop that. But if by the Spirit you put to death the deeds of the body. Listen, that body that even judges in Israel cannot control and you cannot control. Because you have a spirit, you're like a ghostbuster. Remember those? With the packs like... Doo -doo 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 -doo. They have this thermonuclear... Thermo uh, Illegal weapon that you go, boom, dead. Or your spirit has everything you need to deal with everything you face. Because God lives in there. Everything. I don't care what kind of deficiency you have. God gives you an answer through Jesus Christ through your spirit. Jesus said, I know a lot of people praise spiritual thirst. And I do too. But you have to qualify that. True spiritual Thirst and hunger comes when you taste, eat, and drink God. Not when somebody talks to you about God. Do you, do you hear me? Jesus said about the Spirit, those who will drink the water that I will give, what's going to happen to these people? This water will come into them, transform them, and become something else. This little sip of water becomes rivers, plural, rivers, gushing up into eternal life. He's talking about the Spirit within your spirit. Have you experienced rivers of the Spirit of God gushing up in you, bubbling up like a fountain? That's what God has in mind for you. Okay, okay, distracted. You didn't clap this time. Mm -mm. <laughs> so listen, and this is the key verse. Chapter 14, for those who are led by the Spirit of God are sons of God. That's the clincher. That's, I don't know, can I say that? That's the, like where the rubber hits the road. Those who are led by the Spirit of God are sons of God. For, listen, you did not receive the spirit of slavery to fall back into fear. He's talking about religion. He said, you have no room in your being for religious crap. Because it's all occupied. It's all occupied by the Spirit of God. You know, it's a mark of religious mentality. Anger and fear. Fear and anger. 
I mean, they're angry with themselves, with, with, with the world, with everything, and the, they're fearful at the same time. And it's, it's a bad combination. I don't uh, advise you to go this way. So we don't have a room for spirit of religion. He said, we, we, do, we did not receive the spirit of slavery to fall back into fear, but we have received, listen, the spirit of adoption as sons. Or some translations render it, the spirit of sonship. That's what I'm talking about. Here's what you received. You received the spirit of sonship. And by the way, don't take me wrong. Women might feel excluded like, oh, what about, what about daughters? Son denotes the full status of the mature state of someone born of the father in that, back in that culture. So for you, sisters, women, you are sons of God, according to the New Testament. You have the spirit of sonship. You have the fullness. You are no short, no less, no smaller than the brothers in Christ. And in fact, if you're doing good with that, if you do it right, you don't do chapter 7, you do chapter 8, we all become the bride of Christ. That he looks at it and he says, this is the flesh of my flesh. This is the bone of my bone. This is part of me. I'm ready to unite forever. That's the gospel. That's not the gospel. That's the gospel. That's the gospel. <clears throat> so, and I want you to see, for you did not receive, well, I read it, and very important. For you did not receive the spirit of slavery, I've already read that. But you have received the spirit of adoption as sons, by whom we cry, Abba, Father. And I've done some messages about that, so you heard them, but I'll say it again. This is very important. The, the text is written in Greek, and all of a sudden, the author, Paul, decided to insert a phrase in Hebrew, transliterated in Greek letters. That really is like a stop bump. Like you, you can't not miss it. It's like you're walking, walking, and you're stumbling over it. What, what's, what just happened? We're just reading he, uh, Greek text, blah, 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 blah. Abba, Father, what, 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 what was that? It was a Jewish word, Daddy. And that denotes the most intimate, the most unconditional love relationship. That can ever exist and I I told you and like Jason is right there our drummer I remember when I was first preparing to preach on Abba Father here in this church God gave me a vision I had a glimpse of a vision and in that vision God showed me Jason but Jason looked just like Jason but he was seven years old he was a tiny little version of Jason and he had glasses and everything and his mane and all that and and he was just and he was excited and he was running to his dad. I saw there was God. I didn't see him, but I knew it was God as his dad. And he was running and he was going, Daddy. And God just dropped everything. Turn and shine with smile. I couldn't come up with a better picture. God showed me that's what Daddy, Father, Daddy relationship is. And that's the beginning of any Christian life. And again, Paul is very purposeful. He does not bring the topic of children or sons of God until chapter 8. He only mentions one son, Jesus Christ. And he refers to him as the only begotten son of God. But by chapter 8, he says, it's not Jesus only now. It's you. Whatever Jesus had... You have it now. Where do you have it? In your spirit. It's the spirit of sonship. No strings attached. 
total pure gift of God's grace. You cannot contribute anything to that. You can only receive it as the gift of God. You are a child of God. God is your daddy. God is your daddy. How, how, I don't know, how can you buy this religious crap? I'm, ah, this is so good. How can you trade it for the, whatever? Don't. Don't, I'm sorry. Oh, here it comes again. I need to start at like 20 cents for you now, right? Oh, man. Here's what's going with your spirit according to Paul. He says, the spirit of Christ is in your spirit. Christ himself is in your spirit. It's a sign of belonging to him. There's no room for religious mindset anymore. But there is a strong testimony that you are a genuine child of God. It's in your spirit. It needs to go out and permeate. Jesus has never tried to become <laughs> the son of God. He was. He was abiding as God's favor. And that's your and mine call. God has never. I just talked to Christian uh, and he said like, I felt so many times I thought that God is mad at me. Because I didn't do this right. And do that. That's religion, my friend. Lose it. Drop it. Dump it. It has nothing to, it, it kills the reality of daddy-father relationship. And that's the beginning. And that's the, we never graduate from that. Potty Putman came to our church and he preached. That was his whole message. You never graduate from this daddy-father daddy relationship as a little child. You never graduate. Yes, you grow as a son. You're calling us to grow. You're calling us to learn the responsibilities of this life and ministry and whatever. But you never graduate. That's the source of your power. For everything. It's like the Spirit, he says, the Spirit of Christ, the Spirit of God testifies with witnesses with our spirit. In fact, right there, he uses two, both spirits in one verse. The Spirit of God witnesses with our spirit. It's like they resonate. It's the same frequency that we are the children of God. It's, it's like, just imagine... Like my true spirit man, I don't know how it looks like, probably more prettier than this. And he just hugs Jesus, the spirit, and Jesus hugs him. And Jesus says, do you know that you're a child of God just like I am now? And I go, I do, I know. He said, do you know that you're a child of God? And I said, yes, I know, I know, thank you. I just feel it with every cell of my being. Let's say it together, let's say it together. Abba, Abba, Daddy, ah! And he drops everything and he comes. Ooh, that's a Christian life. That's a Christian life. Man, how can you trade it for anything else? I can't. I'm ruined forever by the gospel. I can't buy religious crap anymore. I'm sorry. I, I, sorry, third time. Come on. You're now all responsible to watch me not do it again. Keep the score. <laughs> Well, okay. So he begins to talk about children of God. I'm finishing. I'm almost finished. But then he uses a different word. He uses the sons of God. And the son of God is a different Greek word. And it denotes not just a child of God born and unconditionally loved, but a mature, grown child who has grown and entered into the business of the father. They work together now. They do stuff together now. They have responsibilities. They have like stuff. That they do. How do you become 
a son, well, first of all, you need to be a child. Make sure you are a child. Receive the spirit of Christ in your spirit. But then you grow. You grow. How do you grow? And the rest of chapter 8 is about that. And I'm, unfortunately, it's not all pleasant. He mentions sufferings with Christ. But it's fine. Guys, this reality, when it grows, I, it doesn't matter. I've not even go and elaborate what kind of sufferings. First of all, there are all kinds of sufferings in this world. Life sucks sometimes. And if you want to listen to messages where they say, yeah, I received Jesus and everything is, woo, hunky-dory now. That's, that's not true. And Bible says it's not true. But the Bible says no matter what you step into, whether it's pleasant or painful, there's your spirit. And what I've been describing you for the last 20 minutes is still there. It never goes away. It's real. And it can, in fact, those hardships help you. They press against you. You crack up that thing called flesh-centered, cell-centered life. And here comes reality of God. The best thing that can happen to you is your failure, actually. Maybe not the best thing, but it helps. Insecurities are a great thing because you don't rely on your flesh anymore. You know you can do it. You know. You know. You, you, you tried it already. And by now, I hope you learned that being a Christian is not trying to be a Christian. It's just to enjoy the union, the oneness, the reality of that, this, this dwelling of God's Spirit in your spirit. Children of God can grow up and become mature sons. A child of God is the one who is born of God, a son of God who learned how to be led by God. How to be led by God. And I don't know if people say, tell me how. Well, if somebody tells you that come to our seminar in one hour we'll teach you to be led by God for the rest of your life. That's a lie. That's a long process, my friend. It's personal relationship. All you need to know is He's real. He's within you. He's not far away. He's a real person. And your spirit is a real person. And you need to learn to dwell and abide and interact. The other day, Neil and I went to uh, play disc golf. Neil, do you want me to tell who won? Yeah. yeah. He doesn't want me to tell you who won. You guess. Uh, yeah. So, but we were driving. We were driving in my car. And I knew general direction how to go to Urbana. But there was a bad accident. The road was closed. And I had no way how to detour. So, Neil... We were driving, we were having conversation, we were having a dialogue. Neil was sharing his stuff, his joys, his frustrations. I was telling, telling him my things. And then at the same time, he was guiding me where to go because I had no clue. I knew Urbana is somewhere there, but the road was closed. So he was leading me and I was being led and I was fine and we made it. It was great. I wasn't in charge to get us there. Although I was responsible, I was at the steering wheel. That's kind of a lifestyle that we need to learn. We don't run this life. God orchestrates everything. And I'm finishing here because I'm, I'm not going to be able. At the end, he says everything works for good for those who are part of this process. Everything. Everything. Good and bad. And ugly. It's employed to help you in this process. And how do I... Uh, so what happens when you become a Christian, you become a child of God. You receive this daddy, Abba, Father, spirit of sonship. But what happens over the course of time? You learn to be led. You learn to remove yourself from the position of centeredness, from the position of leadership of your life. You relinquish the control. And you, I, I, I try to come up with a, 
illustration. And here's my illustration. Again, big house with many rooms. That's you. That's your life. And you're not doing great as a housekeeper. Your house sucks, honestly. It's, it's not doing well. It's everything. But you somehow like manage it, barely. And then one day you meet Jesus. And you so enjoy this guy that you invite him to one of your rooms. And you so enjoy your fellowship with him that you actually invite him to live with you in your house. And you clean up one of the rooms and give it for him. And he moves in. And life sucks. And your house sucks. But there is one room in your house. And you know every single evening, when, whenever you want to, you can knock on the door and say, Jesus, are you, are you, are you not asleep? He said, no. Come on in. Let's have a talk. And you come in. And it's like being in a different world there in that room. It's like not your house anymore. And you, this becomes the most peaceful, the most beautiful time of your life. The most beautiful and peaceful and safe and secure place when you forget about all the troubles of your life. And then a few years later, it dawns on you that, oh, maybe I can let Jesus transform another room of my life. And I'm talking about different areas of your life that you try to run. I, 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 mine, I, 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 I. And you said, Jesus, well, I really suck at finances. Do you know anything about money? Can you help me to figure that thing out? I said, yeah, if you want me to. Yeah, I want you to. And he, you, you let him begin to run your finances or your relationship or anything. Do you hear what I'm saying? It's a process when... Out of your spirit, this reality begins to spread to different areas of your life. And that, my friend, is called the fruit of the spirit. Whatever you do with your I, I, my, I, and I is called the works, hard works that make you tired. The fruit grows spontaneously by the flow of life within. All right? So, I'll just... The gospel, the, 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 the chapter begins with these words. There is no more condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. And he's right after chapter 7. That means there is a lot of condemnation in persons' souls who try to be Christians. And this is self-inflicted condemnation. God doesn't put any condemnation on you in the gospel. You put it on yourself. Stop doing that. Just drop it. There is no condemnation. Then learn to recognize the reality of the Spirit. And then he says that, there's a process. Romans, Romans 8, 28, 30. I'm going to read it and not going to elaborate much of it because it's kind of self-explanatory. And we know, Paul says, that for those who love God, all things work together for good. For those who are called according to His purpose. What is His purpose? For those whom He foreknew, that's you, He foreknew you before you were born. Hey, are you listening to me? Good. Uh, before he foreknew you, he also predestined you to be conformed to the image of his son. In order that he might be the firstborn among many brothers. So the firstborn, the only begotten, became the first begotten. The only unique one became the older brother among millions, billions of brothers. And you were included. That's, that process never stopped. And he says, for those, and those whom he predestined, that's you, he called. And those whom he called, 
he also justified. You're justified, remember? He's basically, in one verse, reiterating all that he was developing in first five, six chapters. He says, those who he justified, he also glorified. You know what glorified means? This foretaste that is very real, but it's still just a partial foretaste. Not only grows and permeates your life and different areas of your life. One day comes when all of your flesh just cracks and falls off. And your true self begins to shine with the radiance of God's glory just like Jesus shines. That's called glorification. This reality is within you. All of creation is groaning, waiting for you. So don't you dare to be just a religious, depressed person. Please, begin to tap into this reality. And at the end of the chapter, I'm not going to read it. I know this verse by heart. Paul says, for I am persuaded that neither death nor life. Oh, do we have it? No. Oh, yeah, we have a different translation. For I'm sure that neither death nor life nor angels nor rulers nor things present nor things to come, nor powers, nor height, nor depth, nor anything else in all of creation will be able to separate us from the love of God, which is in Christ Jesus, our Lord. Amen. Amen. That's the gospel of God. I'm glad we did this series. Pastor Neil, come. Thanks for listening. We hope you enjoyed this message. For more information about our church, visit vineyardnorthridge.org or find us on social media at Vineyard Northridge.